It's Hero Rewatch. I'm Austin Halpern Grazer. And I'm his brother, Marley Halpern Grazer. I'm 36, I live in Los Angeles, and I'm an animation writer who's written a bunch of superhero cartoons like Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, some Teen Titans Go stuff. And I'm 24, I live in Brooklyn, and I'm in an improv group that I'm going to say has performed by this point. <laughs> Once this releases. I, by See, now, I true. really hope so. Uh, my brother and I love the Marvel movies and Marvel comics in general, and while living on opposite coasts since Austin was 11, a lot of our relationship has been talking about these movies and characters on the phone. But Marley, we're not talking about Marvel today. Nope, we're branching out. It's DC Comics time, baby. What? what? And a, a movie that Austin probably hasn't seen since he was five years old. But I was probably five the first time I saw it. So I'm going to say the premise of our show still works. Will our perspectives have changed now that I'm not a child and Marley is married to the special guest of this episode? <laughs> Find out on Hero Rewatch! Today's episode, we watch Superman! Uh, yep, and uh, as uh, as we say in our intro, me and Austin and our dad were specifically fans of Marvel comics. Uh, obviously, I've gotten more into DC uh, because of my job, but we thought for this, if we're going to talk about Superman, the first, you know, real modern superhero blockbuster movie we needed to first superhero period yeah for superman the first superhero for sure uh we needed to bring in an actual expert and luckily uh i'm married to one so uh please welcome to the podcast josie campbell Woo! hey everyone i guess i'm cheering for myself coming on (laughs) you guys set a really high energy bar and i feel like i maybe wasn't adequately prepared for that so yeah dc Yeah, the live studio audience is going crazy right now. Yeah, they're losing their minds. People just, Mm -hmm. people, well, also like people in their chairs with their headphones on, just twirling around, getting all caught up in their headphone wires. Just, we prop, someone probably died. Someone probably got so excited when we introduced you that they're dead now and we're murderers. They had a heart attack, Josie. (laughs) Yeah, woo! Let's talk Uh, about saving people. Uh, people thought this podcast would be two brothers forever. Nope, no siree. Two brothers and a sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not Marley's sister-in-law. It's like two brothers, a sister-in-law slash light wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we, we have different relationships. Yes, uh-huh. we all have yeah. slightly different relations with each other. Uh-huh. Me, me and Austin have sometimes, at least once on the podcast, joked that we have the same last name, but because we're brothers, not because we're married. Uh, mm-hmm. Me and Josie have different last names, but we are married. <laughs> it's uh, what what a nonstop roller coaster ride this has been thus far. <laughs> Someone's dead, and I kept my last name. <laughs> yeah, well, because y- so no one can take Halpern Grazer. <laughs> no one could take. No one would take it. It's just nope. it just wasn't on the table. Campbell is a very easy name for people to remember. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a good name. It's a whole brand. That's true. Yeah. Not not a brand I'm related to. That's why I work in kids animation. Uh, you're, 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 not. you're saying this is not the house that Soup built that we're in? This is, no, this is not. This is not the two rooms I and Marley are recording separately in that Soup built. Um. Yeah, so Josie, do you want to talk a little bit about your like relationship with DC Comics? 
Sure. Uh, I mean, I've been a DC fan all my life. Uh, the very first comic book I ever picked up was a Wonder Woman issue because uh, my CVS down the street when I was a kid used to stock both regular comics, uh, floppies, and back issues. So I bought a Wonder Woman issue where she fights Mayfly, who's a cool assassin with hemophilia. Uh, and uh, she uh, also like works with the Flash in that ep- issue. And I got really into it. And so they had, they had some She-Hulk there too, but uh, it was Wonder Woman and Superman specifically was the big DC stuff that he they carried. So I was one of the kids actually buying and reading Death of Superman as it was happening, and that was my first foray into uh, Superman in the comics world. Uh, Josie, did Mayfly's hemophilia make her better at being an assassin? No, Marley, Marley, because she had to be the best assassin because if she got any scratch, it was over for her, <laughs> which like, as a child, it was like, what a genius idea. And like, now I'm like, this is, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> that, that woman needs to reconceive her life. <laughs> um, and I feel like we buried the lead here a little bit. Josie is the producer on the new Superman cartoon show that's yeah, going to be coming Yeah, out. Yeah, I'm uh, co-producing uh, with uh, uh, my co-EPs, uh, Jake Wyatt and Brendan Kloger. Uh, and we are making the My Adventures with Superman uh, animated show, which is the first time Superman's had an animated cartoon in like 20 years since the uh, uh, one in the 90s, the Bruce Timm uh, Adventures of Superman. So yeah. Yeah, it's that, been a while. That's crazy too, because there have been like ten Batmans in yeah. that time. Right? Yes, there's there's been a lot of there's been a lot of Batman. Yes, there has. Um, <laughs> but yes, no, we're the first, and you know, uh, we're living through a, a kind of a Superman Golden Age right now because obviously there's Superman and Lois on CW. Uh, there's, um, obviously like Superman has been in all the DC movies. There's talk of possibly Ta-Nehisi Coates writing a Superman movie. So, uh, Supergirl show, right? There's a Supergirl show also on CW. That's a Berlanti show. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's a bunch of super stuff going on, but yeah, we're the first cartoon in about 20 years, uh, to, uh, to take on the Man of Steel. Yeah. So obviously, uh, we were very excited to have you here, Josie, to our, our first, uh, DC, uh, movie episode to talk about uh, Superman, uh, the movie that uh, started it all uh, from, you know, like Austin said, the character that started it all. Uh, but mm-hmm. before we get into the movie, very quickly, uh, for the purposes of our podcast and the premise, uh, which is that, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Austin was uh, about, uh, it's been, you know, me and Austin are 12 years apart in age. We, uh, the Marvel movies first started coming out about 12, now 13 years ago. So, you know, Austin is now the age I was when I first saw these movies. Uh, but another thing about that time frame is Austin and Josie, you guys basically met 13 years ago. Uh, yeah. You met the same year that Iron Man came out. Two equally momentous occasions in Austin's <laughs> life, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I've, and I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think... I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I think I've known you the length of the conceit of this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, you you and Iron Man have known me for the exact same amount yeah, of time. Yeah, equally on good relationship footing, me and Iron Man and Austin. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but me and Iron Man haven't been talking recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, I see. Having... I see. He's not on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, before, as a special, this this is a special episode in a lot of ways. You know, it's a different uh, different movie universe, a slightly different format. We got a guest, so I want to start in a slightly different way. Before we talk about our memories of first seeing the Superman movie before our rewatch, uh, Austin, what was your first uh, memory and impression of Josie? Ooh. Wow, that's this is heavy, Marley. Wow. I re- um, I thought you were really cool. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, Marley when I so I went out to visit you when I was eleven, mm-hmm. and you. This was this small period of time before Marley worked at Warner Brothers mm-hmm. and was very poor and was eating like only ramen. Yes. And we had peanut butter. Yeah, I'm- and very kindly, you you spent your last chunk of money on taking me to Disneyland. Yes. Which was... Yeah. Um, so anyway, I remember being there and I was waking up at like 5 a.m. And so Marley was just exhausted the whole time. And Josie just like basically, I guess, babysitted me <laughs> while Marley was sleeping and watched The Tick with me, um, yeah. which was lovely. Yeah. It was so good. Um, yeah. And I remember too, at the time you two were already dating, but like you didn't tell me <laughs> yeah. so that was marley because we had just started dating and i found out later marley hadn't told anyone <laughs> I didn't, it no, wasn't no, like I a didn't, secret like I didn't, you guys were like our friends knew what well, i just our, i just didn't you, tell the 11 year old <laughs> well it's you he didn't notice like, <laughs> that's yeah, true you were like well, I remember you were, like, holding hands and stuff, but I was just like, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> That's very cool. She's watching The Tick with me. I guess she's holding hands with my brother for no reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that point, too, I remember on that visit, the now infamous uh, Marley asked me, like, do I need to remind you to drink yes. water? And I said, yes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was going to say, my first impression of you was uh, a very cool child. (laughs) Uh, I remember us feeding you mainly peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, because I I think I was still employed at Warner Brothers at that point. Yeah, I think so. But also not getting paid that much money, so I, too, was very poor. Uh, And, yeah, and actually, Austin, uh, we had not met, but I had seen you before, because in college... Marley had shown me footage of the sketch comedy videos that he and his friends made, including the blooper reel where you, as I I think an actual five-year-old, got stuck in a bunch of mud and your shoes got stuck and you just kept laughing and giggling and screaming, I'm stuck in the mud, as like Marley tried to pull you out and couldn't. (laughs) And then after that, they took me to a bar where they play cartoons, (laughs) where you could play cartoons. Yeah, but like we were all underage too. It was a a restaurant. Restaurant. It was a restaurant that they let <laughs> minors into. It's a sports bar, though. It is yeah, a sports like, bar, is. but like they let us in. It was New York. The fun. rules are different there. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember taking you to Disney too, and I'm, I was very glad to see you were not stuck in the mud anymore, and that Marley properly watered you in between uh, taking you out places. Yeah, I mean, yeah. part of the thing with that trip is that like I had been in college, like I hadn't actually spent that much time one-on-one with Austin since he had been like six and I wasn't sure Mm -hmm. how old an 11 year old really was Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah it's crazy the big thing for me my big coming of age moment is you wouldn't let me sit in the back seat I had to sit in the front seat the whole time I was there (laughs) and that was the first time I'd ever done that I sat in the front seat some kind of freaked me out you know that's a little bit crazy and then you were like Austin you gotta sit in the front seat and I was like okay 
Okay. Um, uh, and I haven't looked back. I do it all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've, I've heard you drive yourself sometimes. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've been known to. I've been known to, for sure. Um, I mean, look, I I'm wish... just very glad we didn't actually give you malnourishment by only feeding you ramen and peanut butter sandwiches for a whole summer. He ate a... I had a very poor diet at the time. Yeah, he, too, he ate so. a lot of French fries. That's true. Also. No, thank God. He got all of his nutrients from the fries. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, great. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the background uh, on us. And let's move on to Superman. So, uh uh, who wants to go first uh, saying what you remembered about this movie before you rewatched it? I can also, if you'd like. I have my notes in front of me. <laughs> uh, can I go first? Yes, you can. I, nothing! I didn't remember anything about this movie. <laughs> um, uh, Superman is in it. I remembered, I I, tr- I literally tried to sing the Superman song, mm-hmm. and I ended up singing the Indiana Jones one. Um, <laughs> they're similar. That is, that, that is a problem. And like, every time I hear the Superman soundtrack, it does take me a minute. I'm like, is it Star Wars, though? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, John, yeah. John Williams wrote the Star Wars theme, and then the Superman theme, and then the Indiana Jones theme, like, close mm-hmm. to each other. Like, he was on a roll. Yes. Yeah. A historic role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the, the other things I wrote down was that I, I thought there was kryptonite in it and a pool. Um, and, uh, I wrote at the time that I thought the pool might be from Superman Returns. Okay. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll find- There is a pool in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you can just turn off the podcast now, everybody, because yeah. we've, we've was- answered our only big question. <laughs> I was going to say, spoiler alert, Austin, there's a pool in it. <laughs> there's a pool. Uh, cool. Well, what I remembered is I remember the movie being pretty, pretty goofy, like sort of a sort of a comedy, not in the same way that some of the Marvel movies are, because I remember it being a little more like uh, like a little retro and self-aware. Uh, but I also realized that my memory of watching it is a memory of rewatching it, because whenever I saw it last, I was probably like 20 uh, something I mostly remember thinking, oh, this is different than when I watched it as a little kid. And, like, you know, the movie's, like, a little retro. Uh, the movie's a little more of, like, an on-purpose comedy, uh, which I didn't – I just took it as completely straight when I saw it as a little kid. Uh, and I remember watching it in my 20s and realizing uh, the tone was a little different than I remembered. And what I remembered thinking about the movie is that uh, – and we are – Absolutely not going in, going to go into what this means because we do not have the time on this podcast. But this movie was made in 1978, which means it's pr- it's made when while the DC comics were still pre-crisis. Oh, uh, yeah. And so what that means is that this movie is trying to modernize and streamline 40 years of disparate Superman stories. Mm-hmm. And the comics had not done that yet. Like, the Marvel movies have the benefit of the fact that the comics had kind of taken stabs at modernizing these characters in the, like, ten years before they made the movies. There was the Ultimate Comics. There were various sort of soft reboots with Iron Man. Like, the the movies could look at the recent comics and think, oh, how do you bring these characters into the modern day? When this movie was made, they hadn't cohesively done that with Superman yet. And this movie was, like, a, a take on doing that that then is pretty different than what the actual comics did 10 years later when they modernized and streamlined it. And that's what I remember. Um, I was going to say, cause I saw uh, Superman, the movie uh, when I was a kid, uh, which actually was the TV cut version, which the Salkins, the producers had put out, which is like a little different than the theatrical cut, which then I got to see in high school. Uh, but 
both times I saw it, I completely forgot everything that did not have Lois Lane in it. <laughs> uh, like, I remember Gene Hackman, um, and I remembered um, uh, a lot of the, uh, the basically plotline stuff, but, like, boy, I forgot that it, it, he's in Smallville. I forgot that Pa Kent, like, has a heart attack. Like, I forgot that there's... Like, a whole, like, sequence, like, ten minutes of the movie where you were just watching him be Superman in Metropolis for the first time. Like, I truly, my memory of the movie starts when he and Margot Kidder both walk on screen. Um, and, you know, some of that's because, like, they're really good together. Like, they have this amazing chemistry, uh, and it it's like a screwball comedy every time they're on screen together. Um, and, uh... Then, you know, I remember Gene Hackman because how could you possibly forget Gene Hackman in this movie uh, and his like Moira Rose amount of wigs that he wears? <laughs> and I had I had forgotten that his lair is literally underground, but like under Park Avenue. So it's super swank, but there's no windows like I had. I remembered him being somewhere and I I forgot that it was literally just under the rich area of Manhattan. <laughs> uh, and and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I was going to say, we don't have to talk about crisis, but I think part of the reason, because this was definitely trying to modernize Superman, but definitely uh, unlike crisis, it didn't do it by destroying the universe and restarting it again. <laughs> but e- crisis is its own conversation for another day. Yeah. Austin, do you even know what we're talking about when we say yeah, pre-crisis? You have- you have the trade of it, so it's like one of the only DC things I've read. Okay. <laughs> you, so isn't... Did you, you only have the, the trade, you grit, this is like news to me, because as we discovered when we got married, I know all DC stuff, and I wasn't super, like, into what old Marvel stuff was happening, so did you guys only have the DC trade of Crisis? Because that is a hell of a jumping on point. No, 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 so, you know, because Marley's so much older than me, Marley has the trade of it, mm-hmm. at, and... It was at our house Mm. for some reason. So I read that and I was like, okay, yeah, evil Superman, another Superman. Okay, I guess this is what these are about. So I've read that one. I've read Superman, Red Sun. Mm -hmm. Austin, what you read might not have been Crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah, I think think you've read Final Final Crisis or Infinite Crisis. Yeah, which one was the 2000s? I think because I had Infinite Crisis in college and I would have brought it home. Are you are you freaking telling me that that's not that? <laughs> no. No. No, it's not. I mean, Austin, if you didn't see Superman crying cradling a dead Supergirl in his arms, you have not read Crisis. <laughs> no, I think I guess I read the other Crisis. I think you read yeah. Infinite Crisis. Yeah. Cuz that was that was in co- college. That was my freshman year or sophomore year, I think, because I was buying 52, the issue that was coming out every week for a full year, 52 weeks. <laughs> Wow. Well, we'll okay. we'll bring. So, I we'll, mean, I guess I've heard of it, and I just hallucinated that the one I was reading called is it Final Crisis or what? I, was infinite it? Crisis, I think, is what you. It's read. called Infinite Crisis instead of Crisis on Infinite Earth. That is yes. that is correct. Yes. Okay. So, how does the movie open? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Superman opens with a. Uh, well, first you get this like fun, like theater like the theater curtains open up and you see an old black and white footage of a 30s comic book like a a kid reads you a i think completely fake issue of a superman comic i don't think that text comes from a real one um and yeah what do you uh what what do you think about that opening sequence austin oh boy um it's really funny when i first started watching it i was like it's exciting to just see 
like an old timey movie that's just one movie it's just like a movie back you know before these mcu things and i didn't realize the first thing they do in the movie is set up for superman 2 yeah yeah, so uh they were filming superman and superman 2 at the same time like richard donner rolled right from one to the other and they had written scripts for both already. So like this was definitely they had they were planned planning for the sequel. Like it wasn't a Marvel button. It was a DC first thing that you're getting hit with. <laughs> yeah, so I mean yeah. that that opening thing is uh you know, first you get a a sort of Star Warsy uh opening title crawl mm-hmm. uh but with the addition of just a amazing amount of like optical printer space effects just galaxies exploding after every credit it really feels like the editor like just got an optical printer for their birthday yesterday and they are going to town and it it was at a point too where like star wars was like the movie that popularized not having the entire credits at the opening Mm -hmm. and you can tell at this point they're still trying to figure it out like do we not have credits or can we just do the credits really cool? Like what are, what's going on guys? Yeah. It's kind of, uh, kind of a mix. Uh, and then you get to Krypton, uh, which, uh, first off doesn't look, this is Krypton before it explodes, but right from the start, it doesn't look super habitable. It's like just <laughs> crystals and ice. I guess it's kind of like, it's probably like a planet sized city. Cause it seems like they all live under like those crystals are actually their technology and they live inside mm-hmm. them. But the first thing mm-hmm. you see is uh Jor-El portrayed by Marlon Brando uh, mm-hmm. presiding over the trial of Zod mm-hmm. and his, his two uh, guys, uh, yeah. Nan and Ursa, right? Not in, yeah, not in Ursa. Uh, yeah. And they they sentence them to Phantom Zone uh, pr- imprisonment, and then that's their yeah. that's their they'll be back at like like we like to say yeah. on the podcast. Zod <laughs> and Ursa Nan look to camera and go, "See you in the next one." <laughs> <laughs> to to Richard Donner's credit, the original first ending of this movie actually did involve them, uh, and then it got sort of. The, the ending of actually the second movie kind of got swapped with the ending of this first one. But yes, uh, they show up just in time to tell them that uh, one day, perhaps in another couple of years, they shall have their revenge. They'll have Jor-El and his heirs kneel mm. before Zod, and uh, then they're put into the Phantom Zone, which is honestly my favorite rendition of the Phantom Zone, which is just like a, a plane of glass, yeah. like fl- incredibly flat glass just flying through the air. Uh, and they spent so much money on this first part of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I said they put them in 2D jail. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, this movie is great because it's a combination of just actually like really good realistic effects that totally hold mm-hmm. up and look really nice. And then some of the effects like look a little theatrical. It looks a little like a soundstage, but it's really pretty. It's beautiful matte paintings. It's really nice looking. And then some things like the Phantom Zone are just like 1970s abstract concepts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so good i'm curious uh J- josie mm-hmm. um i'm a little confused about krypton politics and i don't know <laughs> if it makes sense or not because mm-hmm. so so zod was trying to take over and become the mm-hmm. king right yes and then like it cuts right from that to a scene of jor-el like talking to the same people being like the whole world is gonna get mm-hmm. destroyed and they're mm-hmm. like that's we're gonna charge you with an insurrection for saying mm-hmm. that 
Yeah, so that was the, uh, you know, Kryptonian High Council. Uh, so they're in charge of the planet. I think it's like the Science Council, possibly, in the original comics. But, uh, yeah, so the what what's happening there is there are two very different scenes that have been smashed together uh, <laughs> with no time in between. So they got rid of Zod, who was trying to institute himself as basically a military junta, take charge, become king of the planet. But also... In this movie, at the same time, Jarell's trying to ring the warning bell that Krypton's about to explode and everybody is going to die, and the mm-hmm. council does not believe him. And not only do they not believe him, they think that it's so preposterous that he's just going to cause panic and rile people up. And so if he keeps going down this path, they'll they'll like condemn him essentially. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. we've seen what they do when they condemn you. They shove you in 2D jail <laughs> with mm-hmm. the people you just put in 2D jail. Yeah, I mean putting <laughs> these scenes back to back like Zod offers Jor-El to join him. Zod's like, join me, Jor-El. You'll be second only to me. We'll rule together. And Jor-El's like, no, I side with the council. And then cut to, like, immediately the council is yes. dooming the planet. And it just feels like Jor-El should have maybe asked Zod what his policy on planet exploding was. Because it's, like, yeah. not a conversation they have. Yeah. yeah. It seems like it's the most important issue of the day. <laughs> yeah. Like, like even it, as- yeah, no, it does feel like it, there should be some sort of discussion of like, no, the High Council is wrong about you, but there's some other things the High Council is also wrong about. So, so let's work this out. I'm just saying, yeah, if, like, if Zod's military dictatorship was going to be like pro-evacuating the planet, then maybe he was right. And we don't know. Sure. They don't talk about no, it. I, I'm just saying, if 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 it, if it, if there is this case where he was going to be like a super fascist person who mm-hmm. was trying to save everyone from dying... Or anyone from dying, really. <laughs> it would be a step up. Yeah, that's right, everyone. We've, we've invented the idea that Zod was an eco-fascist and decided we're on his side. This is a, a moral dilemma wow, we have created I, for ourselves and picked the wrong answer. I, I would like to excuse myself from this narrative you guys have created, because Zod absolutely would not have listened to Joel. He's a bad okay. man. He's okay. a bad man. Uh, but yes, no, the High Council also doesn't listen to Jor-El, and as a kid who read Superman comics, I also would get confused. I'm like, why wouldn't they just listen to him? Obviously, the planet's going to blow up. And then, like, you know, uh, yesterday, the Gulf of Mexico was on fire. So I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> trying to speak truth to power and people aren't having it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit upsetting that it's like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, they would just be like, nah, it's going to be fine. That's yeah, cool. It's cool. You're wrong. The, the planet's just shifting on its orbital axis like it does. Yeah, like- hey, I don't know. Uh, you're, you're sounding like a, a bit of a doomer right now. Mm. We might want to put you in 2D, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, Jorel uh, very specifically promises that yes. neither he nor his wife will will leave the planet he promised he pinky swears yeah. that him smash and cut his... to, yeah. <laughs> smash cut to him shoving a baby in a rocket ship because yeah. he didn't make any promises about the baby <laughs> uh, i will say uh because again this is definitely the part of the movie they spent the most money on because boy is it like production designed like beautifully also uh, uh, it was a Tom Mankiewicz who got brought on to sort of rewrite the script uh, that Mario Puzo, the guy who wrote Godfathers, originally wrote for this movie, was the guy who actually came up with the idea that the Superman crest is just one of the many crests that the council wears. Oh, wow. Because uh, so in from, that scene, that's, from that movie. that's, yeah, so in that scene, as you'll, when you see, because like, 
first off, the the direction of the scene is really great. Like those costumes are really cool. The lighting and colors are amazing. But yeah, that's why Jarell has the S on it. And then you've got everybody else on the council has an insignia, some better designed than others. But yeah, but uh, that, that creates the idea that the S isn't really an S. It's like an abstract yes. shape that looks like it's, an S to us. Exactly. It's a Kryptonian symbol. And, you know, it's also, you know, why it's on the blanket that gets put in, uh, you know, the spaceship with ba- uh, baby Clark, um, which is also sort of building the suit out of the spaceship material is also very much from this movie, which is very cool. So, yeah. um, okay, this is a little bit of a sidebar. Okay. But are you telling me that this movie was written by the son of the Mank? So... <laughs> so- <laughs> So here's so here's the fun stuff about and here's the like background of all of these of this movie because it is wild. So, um Ilya and Alexander uh, Salkind were the two producers on this movie. They were from Mexico. They had produced um the Three Musketeers movie that had hit it big a couple of years before and they had the reason they got hired for this is because they had produced the three musketeers and the four musketeers the sequel at the same exact time and so that's what they were going to do with superman and superman uh two uh so they got hired they uh hired uh mario puzo to write both movies and what he turned in was a 550 page like opus that they absolutely could not film because one movie was like 300 pages like it was it was far too much (laughs) just in case uh anyone is listening to our podcast uh because you know uh, you know, I'm a I'm a TV writer. Josie's a TV writer. There's a chance some people are listening to this podcast to learn insights into the mm. business. And if that's the case, uh, they made a mistake. Uh, we don't really <laughs> talk about that. But uh, Josie, how long would you say a feature film screenplay should be, if not 300 pages? Just so people have uh, some context. Yeah, I was going to say like 120 pages <laughs> was the norm of when we went to school. Uh, even if it's a little longer. You know, it's still you're not going. Do not go over like 150 pages, so, maybe so at the, the most. The basic rule is it's a page a minute. So yeah. a 300 page screenplay would be a 300 minute film. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah. So um, Richard Donner, when he came on, brought on Tom Mankiewicz, and basically he rewrote the entire movie. Um, he has a consulting credit on the movie instead of a writing credit because the WGA. Uh, uh, has specific rules about being able to be credited as a writer or not. But yes, essentially, uh, the grandson of Mank wrote an unmakeable movie that they then hired another guy to rewrite. (laughs) Um, I'm smelling Mank too right here. (laughs) The Makening? Well, (laughs) Mank, Mankowitz, it's all coming together. Yeah. I'm just looking at, Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now for the Mankowitz family. Yes, there's a lot. Of, uh, I will. There's a lot. Of I them. will also say uh, what was very fun about learning about the movie because, like, I I love the Richard Donner movie. I've actually got to see uh, when I first moved out to Los Angeles because I used to work as a uh, reporter for Comic Book Resources. Uh, so I actually got to go to a screening of Superman the movie that Donner was at because. Uh, uh, one of the DC uh, people had uh, interned for him, uh, which was very cool, and got to hear him talk about it, which was awesome. Uh, but also learning about it, rewatching it, that um, uh, the Salkinds uh, were not great at paying people <laughs> on time. Uh, and the guy who's going to direct Superman 2, um, uh, uh, 
uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, uh, was brought onto the movie and was allowed to direct Superman 2 because that was the only way he could recoup his losses from directing the Musketeers movies for the Salkinds. So Whoa. a little, they did not pay their director uh, and promised that they would pay him if he's directed Superman 2 for them. Yeah, Richard, so, Richard Lester. Richard Lester. Uh, which there's a great quote that I found uh, when Donner was talking about the movie of just Richard Lester had like warned him not to work for them. And he's like, and you're going to ignore it. And like I ignored it and they might not pay you. So keep that in mind while we're watching this movie is they spent almost all their budget in the first like 20 minutes. And also we're not, we're planning to make that money back by possibly not paying Richard and Donner. Also, it's yeah. important to note that a huge part of that money they spent on these first 20 minutes just went directly oh, to Marlon Brando. 100%. He, Marlon Brando got like gross receipts. Like the, he made out like a bandit. Uh, and yeah, I think, I feel like Marlon Brando, like the real start of this is Alec Guinness in star Wars. But, like, because we're talking about superhero movies, Marlon Brando really fits into that, like, Anthony Hopkins and Thor model of, like, just an actor who is too good for the movie and, like, is doing a good job. Just takes it really seriously. He just does yeah. a completely serious, dramatic performance as Jor-El, and he's cool. And, you know, they scheduled the movie around him being on set for yes. as few days yeah. as possible. <laughs> yes. Uh, he didn't remember. This was... A hundred percent in the Marlon Brando is not going to memorize his lines. So they had cue cards on set for him to read off of. Yeah. You, you know that clip <laughs> yeah. where Gwyneth Paltrow says that she was never in a Spider-Man movie. Uh, and John Favreau's like, yes, you were. We were in it together. Like Marlon Brando not only probably does not remember, did not remember he was in a Superman movie. He'd probably deny having like ever met the directors or the producer, or anybody <laughs> involved. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, he did work with the, the producers again one more time, but he insisted they pay him up front before the movie started because they had he had to sue them to get the rest of his salary. So we, so we know he remembered them. He, he remembered them. Um, yeah, you said... Oh, boy. Oh, great. So, yeah. So, the one thing I was thinking, so they, they put little they put little baby uh, Superman in, mm-hmm. the, in the little baby tube, yep. the little baby spaceship. <laughs> And they're just all the technology on Krypton is made out of crystals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the one thing that I could really connect with uh, Superman about because our parents also really liked crystals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true. That's all I got. We had a very, a very <laughs> crystal based uh, upbringing up in the woods. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my favorite thing is when uh, uh, Superman's mom, I forget her name, Josie. What is Superman's mom's name? They don't really say it in the movie. They don't say it in the movie. Um, she's- uh, it's. Lady Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Laura. Laura. Yeah. Okay. Well, when she's like, will he be okay? Is our baby going to be all right on this strange alien planet? And Jarrell's basically like, oh yeah, Earth people are chumps. Our baby's going to clean up down there. (laughs) (laughs) He will be a god. (laughs) He's going to do so well. I got to make this tape right now telling him not to be a god. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And like. The, so they shoot the baby into space. Uh, we get an, uh, our second sort of 2001 Space Odyssey inspired visual sequence. There's like the they sometimes they say that there's points in this movie where they imply that because of like the theory of relativity, like Jor-El. So the baby's uh, baby Kal-El is in the spaceship. The spaceship is like books on taping Jor-El, like telling him mm-hmm. things during his journey. And we're like mm-hmm. montaging through it, just getting little snippets. Jor-El name drops Einstein. <laughs> Like Jarrell yes. says, Einstein's theory of relativity. 
he also says when he shows up later that it's only like time dilation means that like it's been a few years for Clark, but it's been thousands of years of Krypton being gone. So this movie does not have a great grasp on when Krypton exploded yeah. and when when Clark showed up, other than roughly 1948. Yeah, it's, it's inconsistent. <laughs> uh, but uh, one thing I do like when he's uh, – the one of the snippets we get is Jorel says that there's like 25 known galaxies and each one has its own laws of physics. And it's not like they stick with that. And also I think maybe Marlon Brando was just making up whatever he wanted for 20 minutes and they cut out the parts of it that made sense. But I do kind of like, there are things that happen in this movie that work better. If you imagine that what Superman's real power is in this movie is he's bringing the laws of physics that are native to Krypton to earth. And just making things not work the way they should work. And I know that's not really intentional, but like, I don't know. I like that this movie is a little trippier than just saying uh, you're strong because There's, of the yellow sun. I I do love that this movie is like at a real crossroads because it's like several movie genres in one. It's like it is a trippy 70s sci-fi space like Odyssey, but it's also a screwball comedy. But also, once they get to Smallville, it's like uh, Greece. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. that sets us up perfectly because where the little baby spaceship crashes is into a, a field in Kansas, much like our friend Thor. It's a similar scene. Uh, I wish they'd hit the baby with their truck. That would have been funny. He would have been fine. He's super strong and invulnerable. It would have been funny. You also get to see some baby peeping. <laughs> you. <laughs> Yeah, there is a full-on new <laughs> child in this movie. I will admit, yeah, I that... also don't remember that either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what was going on. Were you just allowed to do... Are you not allowed to do that now? I don't... I, don't I, I mean... I don't know. I don't know if all of our child labor laws were in place in the, in 78. I mean, there was just more yeah. nudity in movies generally in the 70s. And like, you know, it... it yeah, I don't know. Yes, I think you were yeah, just allowed I, to do that. I don't think they were yeah. criminals. Yeah. I mean I think well, I, mean, I do think work. I do think the producers of this the movie producer. were criminals, but I don't think that was their crime. <laughs> no, no, no. When they sued each other later in life and they were a father-son team, when the father and son sued each no. other, they specifically sued each other for fraud fraud and racketeering. So they were criminals, but not specifically for baby PP. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um. it's, it is amazing. Like the the Kents uh see the ship crash. And they walk to the the crash site, and then there's just this little naked child with it. He immediately puts his arms out, like "I'm here, want a baby." <laughs> and the answer is, they do. They do want a baby. Like Pa Kent is coming up with some reasons why they would, I don't know, report this to someone. And Martha Kent is like, "Nah." <laughs> well, the thing that convinces Pa is when he sees how strong mm -hmm. Superman is. Yeah, and I think he, there's just a moment where he's like. Okay, he can work on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says later, we find out later that he was worried that people would take him away because he could do crazy things. Not necessarily because this kid's going to, uh, you know, uh, replace the thrasher, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah, then, you know, that brings us to, we cut to uh, Teenage Clark who is uh, sad that he has to just be like the assistant to the football team because he can't show that he could kick a football into space uh -huh. and he can outrun <laughs> a train. Uh, and he's uh, he's bummed out about it. And then, yeah, he has this conversation with Pa Kent where Pa Kent's like, well, you're not here to show off. You're here for a reason. 
And I know we'll find out what that reason is. And if excuse me, I need to die of a heart attack right now. <laughs> this fall. movie does not believe in time passing. <laughs> like, if something's going to happen, it is going to happen within the span of minutes. Uh, but it, I actually, because uh, I, I know it's there's a lot of very funny and, like, hokey bits to it. But I think that the scene that comes after that, the funeral, is one of the things that I really like about this movie. Because I unironically think that this is a great movie movie like there like the funeral scene where he's just saying like this is something i can't punch this is something i i couldn't save him Mm -hmm. i all my powers and i couldn't save my father from a heart attack uh which a is setting up things but b is like one of the many moments in this movie that like it breaks through and it's very human and i think that's like part of the reason i really love this movie is it's goofy it's funny there's a henchman named otis who like falls and things get bonks on his head like it's a cartoon but then you have these moments where, you know, you get a little misty-eyed at the funeral of Pa Kent. Because, yeah, Superman couldn't, like, uh, Clark Kent couldn't save his father. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I agree. I think that, you know, people spend a lot of time sort of hand-wringing about, like, how do you tell a compelling story with Superman when he's so powerful? And, like, the answer is always find things his powers can't fix. Yeah. And I mean, it's the it's the human aspect. I mean, again, I think that's you know we'll talk about it in a minute because boy, Clark Kent and Marth, uh, and uh, Margot Kidder are just um, by- dynamite together. But it's it's the human aspect of it. You know, people he loves die, and he can't he can't stop that. Like things, uh, well, right now he can't stop that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what the movie's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, will he learn how will to he, yeah, So yeah. he 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 goes back to the little remnants of his baby spaceship. He picks up the the green crystal that he that has always been there and he tells uh he tells Ma Ken it's time for him to leave the farm. He does specifically say that he's going to get one of the, like their neighbors to come help out and help her out so she's not just yeah. on her own cuz he definitely was doing all of the farm work for them. <laughs> yes. uh, I feel like that yeah. is established. Uh but he's okay. His mom's going to be It would be weird if he didn't. He's <laughs> Superman. <laughs> It'd just be so easy for him. Yes. Yeah, it's not a problem. Uh, yeah, so he his mom is well taken care of. He does not abandon her. It's just time for him to move on. Uh, but uh, instead of uh, going to college, uh, what this Clark Kent does is walks to the North Pole and creates the Fortress of Solitude with mm-hmm. the crystal. Here's my question. Was that uh, kryptonite, the glowing uh, green crystal? He no. Had? So it's a little confusing because I do not think somebody was on the color theory of this movie. Because, <laughs> yes, uh, it, uh, it is very confusing that kryptonite is green and then the dad crystal is exactly the same color green. But no, that is not kryptonite because it would have poisoned him if it was kryptonite. Slash, jor wouldn't have had kryptonite at that point because kryptonite is actually the irradiated remains of the planet Krypton. That's sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the issue is well, that one in, thing I want to say. In, we, we went in Krypton times. They probably had lots of green crystals because they weren't scared. Yeah. They weren't scared of green crystals. The thing too about with when Krypton gets destroyed that I like is they have a whole sequence of Krypton falling apart and then the sun explodes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like they really want you to know there's no coming back for this planet. Well, and also like they really they they spend a good five minutes before the sun explodes making sure you see actual specific people falling to very yes. real deaths. Like yeah, you see everybody falling, yeah. and then it's like didn't matter the sun. Exploded, so. <laughs> They're not making it out. It's not like if those people had caught themselves, they would have lived because the sun exploded. Uh, yeah, I don't. 
I don't think, I'm trying to think in Man of Steel, I don't know if other depictions of Krypton's destruction make such a point of showing you really specific people, like, actually falling yeah. to their deaths. I, well, because, like, it, it's also a thing that gets repeated later in the movie. Like, when people are in danger, like, realistically with the earthquakes, it's very scary. Yeah. Like, they they do mm-hmm. a good job of, like, there's actually some horror here of just, like, yeah. oh, God. Wow, you're really, Richard Donner, you're really making us watch everybody die, and then the sun explodes. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's um, your, like, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute, but, like, uh, Lois Lane, when she almost falls out of the helicopter, like, that that scene, like, Richard Donner knew what he was doing. The scenes that are supposed to be funny are very funny. The scenes that are supposed to be scary or dramatic are very scary and dramatic. It's, yeah. This is a, I would say, masterfully done movie. Mm-hmm. Anything that's goofy was supposed to be goofy. They knew what they were doing yes. here. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, he creates uh, the fortress. Uh, he creates a hologram of Jorel. Jorel actually says, "Here, I will continue your education in this fortress of solitude." And I like—I mm-hmm. I know they just wanted to name drop it because that's what it's always called. But I like the idea of Jorel programming his hologram mm-hmm. to assume his son is very lonely, has no one else to hang out with. <laughs> He's like, "Here in your fortress, I assume you brought no one, and you have no one. I'm just going to make that <laughs> assumption." <laughs> <laughs> you're so alone you've never had a crush on a girl you've never talked to a person <laughs> you probably you probably i don't know where it would be on the planet but you're probably on like the worst part of the planet <laughs> <laughs> no one would want to come here uh and then i like the sequence because this is sequence two of crazy space nonsense happening as Jorel, i guess like just make sure that the tapes he made the child listened to take, which is production reason was at this point, they didn't have Marlon Brando anymore. And it would have been like millions more dollars to get him to record new things to tell him. <laughs> I know, but it does. So it, they just repeated but it. But it, do, it does mean that baby Kal-El spends multiple years listening to these recordings and they do not work. He doesn't know anything about <laughs> like kid Superman doesn't know where he came from or how his powers work. Like, Clearly, he needed to re-listen to all of this as an adult. Uh, here's actually mm-hmm. the the main thing I had forgotten. I had forgotten that Jarrell specifically said, "Wait, he, ta- he they don't just uh, because it's you know a, a, this is one of the trippy parts mm-hmm. of the movie. It's not just oh, I'm going to talk to you and tell you things. It's like come with me on a mind expanding mm-hmm. cosmic journey. And they say that it takes twelve years. Like Superman yeah. goes through all of time and space and learns the mysteries of the universe with Jarrell for twelve years. Uh, yeah. My favorite part, because they do they do another like clip where they're like he's like here's how the sun works. You must never interfere with the human history. You are forbidden to interfere with human history. But there's also a part where he goes, now we will speak of the human heart. It's more fragile than and then cuts. And I love the idea that Jarrell like just explained to him how to save someone from a heart attack. But a little late, other dad. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's really nuts that Superman just is there for 12 years yeah. and then becomes uh, finally Christopher Reeve. Yeah, finally yes. Christopher Reeve uh, appears, uh, appears yeah, he, in the movie. He walks, he walks in as actor Jeff East and he walks out as actor Christopher Reeves. Uh. Uh, and uh, I did actually check because I always get this wrong. So it's Christopher Reeve, right? Yes. And then George Reeves was the TV actor. This is the sound of the silent sound of all of us double checking. Yes, Christopher Reeve and George Reeves. Very confusing. Uh, was, yes, very Reeve. confusing. Uh, but okay. yeah, so Christopher and, Reeve makes his debut in the movie finally. 
Uh, and he was uh, only 25 when they made yes. it. Yeah. He's not that much older than the guy who was no. playing Teen Clark. He's like, he was like six or five or six years older than I think Jeff East, who played Teen Clark. He's just taller than He's him. so much more handsome. <laughs> <though>. Yo. <laughs> and let, let us be frank. This is a movie that definitely made... Christopher Reeve a household name based on how handsome he is like there's multiple scenes where they like enhanced the blue of his eyes as he twinkles at the camera and he has like that devil may care smile every time he like slips up his Clark Kent persona a little like Christopher Reeve is having a fun time (laughs) this movie does so then too like the next thing he goes to Metropolis which is just New York City in this movie yeah I mean also in the comics I mean it's all no but like they list every city around around New York City. I know. They, like, the first thing is, they're, like, in Grand Central, and they're, like, New Rochelle, White Plains, <laughs> Albany, Buffalo. They just list them all, and I'm, like, what are you, who, are, what are you pretending? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. every other city is the same name. Yeah, I do want to, um, uh, right before we move on, I do want to say that this scene with Jorel before he sends him off into the world, does end with the line where he says, like, and so I sent, like, he said, talks about how, like, the Earth like people of the earth can be good and like you have to like be a let your example show them the way to be good don't like mm-hmm. rule over them and he he ends with he goes and that's why i sent them my only son and mm. i think this is probably the start of people like explicitly treating superman as like a christ figure mm-hmm. uh because I mean, the original you know, cre- him- cuz we know that the original creators were thinking of moses like yes. their their idea of a people in peril putting their baby in a container and sending that baby out to be raised by other people. Like, you know, the, the Siegel and Schuster who created Superman were Jewish. Like they were, you know, Kal-El is basically a Hebrew name. They were obviously thinking of this as a, a sort of a Jewish inspiration of a story, but definitely when other people get a hold of it, they really start leaning into the idea that Jarrell sends his son to earth to save us, which is a different. And, yeah, you, which makes- and you know, it's, it, you know, also, uh, this uh, this son being sent to save us and then also disappearing for, you know, 12 years yeah. is also a little Christ-like. Yeah, basically goes to the <laughs> desert, comes back with new knowledge. Uh, but I do like that this movie, and it's so subtle, but when he's at Clark Kent and he's saying things like swell and gee whiz, it's 100% because he has not interacted with other people for 12 years. So that's how everybody was talking in Smallville. That's how Lana was talking. That's how Brad was talking. Uh, and then every time he's Superman, instead of saying G Wiz or, or G Lois, like what he's saying is just the facts he learned uh, in Baby Tapes 2 Kryptonian SAT prep, you know? No, like- it's true. He just keeps <laughs> dropping like statistics and stuff because that's all he knows. <laughs> Yeah. which I really, I really love that detail. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I'd picked up on that before that he is, he is kind of a man, a time displaced person because of that 12 year mm-hmm. jump. Yeah. So, yeah. So you go from basically the, the fifties, sixties to then showing up in New York in 1978. Uh, and that's, uh, that's where we meet, uh, uh, it, one again, one of my favorite scenes: uh, Clark Kent and uh, Lois Lane, uh, with Margot Kidder playing Lois Lane, and just uh, my one of her and Terry Hatcher are my two favorite Loises of all time. Like they're so good. Uh, Margot Kidder is like just doesn't give a shit that Clark's supposed to talk to her editor. She's just running around demanding people spell things for her because they all have typewriters and uh, she has to get her article out and it's a really bloody article. (laughs) Like she's great. She's just like just a just dynamic in that scene as she is like 
playing this like fast talking like wit and then Christopher Reeve is like literally falling over himself as sort of like her bumbling oh, like the like the bumbling like sidekick love interest Clark Kent. Yeah, I mean it's shocking how good he is as Clark Kent. Like the first scene where you get Christopher Reeve being Clark Kent, like you 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 get that feeling of a star being born in one scene of a movie. Like he's just so good. <laughs> It's also the first scene he gets to talk in the movie. Yeah, he's, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, we, we've, we, at this point, it's like 40 minutes of movie and the star is here and saying things. And he's amazing. It was worth all the wait. Yeah. Yeah. He's so good, too. I read on the Wikipedia page, too, that it was like a whole trial for yes. him to get to be Superman. Like, literally yeah. every single actor was considered yes. for the role. They, like, considered, it was, like, actors. They, like, Muhammad Ali was on a short list for them. And, like, they... Not only, like, couldn't pay a lot of these actors enough, a lot of them turned them down. Uh, mm-hmm. It was did just, they, yeah, Did was... they turn them down because the producers were known con men? <laughs> I don't know how oh. well known it was that they didn't pay people. Uh, and they, I mean, had been sued by this point by uh, Superman 2 director, and they had literally moved their residence so he, the, the lawsuit he won would have to restart again. I don't know how well known this was in okay. Hollywood at the Cause time. Because you, you also told me that they also, before they got Richard Donner to agree to direct it, asked like every other director. Um, no, oh, and this is really fun because they had asked uh, George Lucas, because they did have their finger on the pulse a little bit. Like the Salkins, like were good at the sort of like action adventure stuff. So they asked George Lucas, but he was busy with Star Wars. And then uh, the son, uh, Ilya uh, Salkind, wanted to uh, get this uh, new director named Steven Spielberg to direct the movie. And his father was like, well, I don't want to do like an unknown. Like, let's see how his like and the direct quote was, let's see how his fish movie does. Uh, (laughs) That was Jaws. And immediately, uh, Steven Spielberg had no time for them because <laughs> they they started doing pre-production and trying to start this movie in 1974. So this was a four-year-long process that ended with Richard Donner, and then the casting was a long process that finally ended with Christopher Reeve coming back in. Which is also mm-hmm. why, like, obviously, like the titles and hiring John Williams, like the stuff they did in post, has sort of a Star Wars feel. But that's why, like, this movie does not actually feel like it's inspired by Star Wars. No. Like, there's a reason that so much of the inspiration is clearly 2001 Space Odyssey, a movie that had come out 10 years earlier because they had started making this movie five years earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Christopher Reeve is, he's just so good. He's, he's one of the best, I, I, you know what? I, I'll, I'll be controversial. I think he's the best Superman actor that there's been. Like, what? I know, I know really hard, some hard lines coming down. I, I love this movie so much and he, it's, he does such a good job shifting tones. He's goofy. Then he's funny. Then it's sad. Then it's romantic. Like it, he's, he's a whole movie in of himself. Uh, And yeah, I'll stand with you, Josie. I think he's the best Superman. I just, I just want to say that when George Reeves clumsily pushes styrofoam (laughs) out of the way and pretends that it's a wall, it's my favorite thing in the whole world. (laughs) I, I could watch That's an true. endless loop of George Reeves pretending to break through fake walls. It's amazing. He's He really captures my favorite part of Superman, which is walking through walls. Yeah, I was going to say, because before we started this, Austin asked how much I could talk about the show I was working on, which not very much because it's just been announced. But I can say that... 
pretty much every day, Marley has pitched me some version of Superman just slowly walks through a wall like George Reeves. Hey, have you seen George Reeves? How he just like kind of kicks some obviously like bricks aside. He should walk through a wall. So that's some real background knowledge for you, podcast yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah Josie there might be a, there might be a reason why Warner Brothers doesn't let me write Superman. Uh, <laughs> I'm, it's uh, possible that this is on purpose. Josie isn't allowed to talk about the show except is allowed to talk about all of the pitches Marley has made that are yes, not going to be in the that show. are not going to be in the show. <laughs> I can tell you definitively what's not going to be in the show, <laughs> which is Marley's pitches. <laughs> I have, I actually have written some Superman. Uh, mm-hmm. If people want to check out on YouTube the Tales of Metropolis shorts, uh, you can see. Although Superman, we do. He doesn't walk through a wall, but we do have Bizarro fly through a ceiling. So yes. we're and and in that short, Lois Lane is wearing a, an outfit that I exactly wore because that was at the point that I was doing uh, entertainment journalism. So Lois Lane is dressed exactly like me because you and Will like designed her jacket off uh, of the blazer I'd wear. Yeah, quick quick backstory: <laughs> uh, the Tales of Metropolis shorts that I did uh, were produced and directed and designed and animated by Will Patrick, who did the art for our podcast uh so you've yeah. the way he drew me and austin uh he basically drew josie as lois lane back in that short yes. uh do you know too marley that uh when i was reading the history of lois lane when they originally created her they were like oh and she just happened to end up just like my wife um, <laughs> so you're you're in a you're in a long tradition of facing yeah. lois just, lane off of just her. happens to be my wife <laughs> I did my my one thought about Lois uh, in this opening scene because later in the movie she starts tying her hair back in a ponytail and and looks more seventies. But they actually basically gave her the nineteen forties Lois haircut, like yeah. she's got the bangs and the well, curls a little bit. A little bit. It's a very seventies version of this haircut. Yeah, but but it, it, but it like, is like the seventies. Like they're filtering. Yes. They are filtering like, that they... haircut into the modern time. And they do do like a good job of like like there it's. It's all 70s outfits, but, like, there is a little homages to, like, you know, like, like uh, 30s and 40s Lois, like, basically was wearing power suits. Yeah. Like, the equivalent of, like, 40s power suits when she was going out and running around, jumping into the back of trucks that are being driven by villains in order to find out, like, where they're going. Um, and I love that. And I love Margot Kidder has that energy, especially when she's like, I'm going to go jump in a helicopter to go interview the president of the United States. Uh, like, she is which, not stopping for anyone. Which is perfect, because we are just about an hour into our record, and we are an hour into the movie, and it is an hour into this movie that Superman, for the first time, saves somebody as Superman. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, Lois Lane uh, is about to fall out of a helicopter and he catches her and the whole world sees him catch Lois and then basically remember to catch the helicopter and save the other guy. He was much more focused on Lois, but he gets them both. <laughs> he does save the other guy. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? You will believe a man can fly. It's Superman. Yeah. He's flying. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Like I never, th- I actually did not think of that, Josie, that when he saves Lois, he has that famous line where he's like, I hope this hasn't turned you off from flying. Like Miss Lane says, mm-hmm. statistically, it's still the safest way to travel. And there's yes. no way that's true about helicopters. Like he's no. talking about, <laughs> he's talking about passenger jets. Don't listen to him. 
<laughs> the helicopters are dangerous. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he saves Lois. He shows up for the first time in his suit. Uh, he his his voice is lowered. His eyes are twinkling. He's explaining statistics. It's cool. Uh, like I, they do get. I think this version of Superman too. The way to make him be relatable and cool is that he's like a dweeb. Like, yeah. he, both versions of Superman are still kind of a dweeb. Like. Yeah. But he, this one is a very handsome dweeb who can catch a helicopter one-handed. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, no, but I, I, it's, I love it. It's, it's like Superman is not somebody who thinks or cares about being cool. He thinks and cares about doing the right thing. And you see that in this whole sequence that I truly forgot existed until we watched the movie yesterday, where he, like, you know, he saves Lois, but then he also stops a diamond thief. But then he mm. also, uh, like, like from robbing at a place, but he also, like, gets a cat out of a tree. It's so good. That whole sequence where Superman saves something and then says a one-liner yes. every time. Yes. It's so funny. Like, I like, like yeah, I it's it's a little bit like has he been practicing zingers in the Fortress of Solitude this whole time? Like he's like ready to go for each one. <laughs> yeah, this was reminding me too of like I don't know the exact history of it, but with Superman working at the newspaper and stuff, mm-hmm. it's like how much is Spider-Man uh <laughs> working at is that just a Superman ripoff? I mean, Spider-Man comes after way after Superman. Yeah, like decades and decades. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, like, um, you know, it is very funny because I forgot how much Perry White and J. Jonah Jameson are very, at this point, very much as the same character of just, like, loudly, like, talking about what they need. Like, it's a little later, but God, the, the scene right after where he's yelling at everybody that they need the best like article about Superman is such a great scene where he's just yeah. like essentially bring me pictures of Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and literally it, it cuts from that to then Superman saving people around New York City saying one-liners. I was yes. just like, yeah, this is so much like Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, know, you know, Spider-Man. I mean, you know that the reason there's a hyphen in Spider-Man's name is because if there wasn't, it would look a lot like Superman on the logo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. that's. I think Stanley's always said that that like he l- wrote out Spider-Man one word and was like, uh-oh. <laughs> 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 oh, <no. laughs> we've already like... <laughs> been we've already been sued before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, I think back then. The, the weird thing about 60s Marvel Comics is that DC Comics was actually distributing Marvel Comics. Like, uh, Marvel Comics were so small and so unimportant that DC was happy to be their distributor. Uh, that's why Marvel could only publish a certain amount of comics. Uh, they, was like, they were limited to, like, six or something. That's why Marvel used to do so many two-in-ones was because they couldn't create a fully new title. Mm-hmm. It's also why they would, like, introduce new characters in Fantastic Four every month to see if they worked because they had such limited space to create actually new comics. And DC did basically have veto power. Like, the very yeah. first uh, design of Black Panther... Uh, had his the bottom half of his face showing and Black mm. Panther used to ha- kind of have a cape and he just looked like Batman. Uh, and DC was like, no, no, he doesn't. You can't do this. <laughs> and so like, that's why they covered up the rest of his face and mostly didn't draw him with the cape. It's crazy that they covered up his face, not for racist reasons. I think it was both. <laughs> yeah. All I know is that C- oh. Kirby drew him with the exposed face exclusively, and then the colors and inker would just ink over it. I love that passive aggression. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it was both. Uh, I don't. I don't want to pretend the racism wasn't part of it. 
It, it yeah, definitely was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Kirby um, also would try to draw him with enough skin around his eyes showing that the uh, hopefully the racists were still mad. But, you know, on the, uh, I mean, essentially back to yeah. the modern world of the 1970s, um, which also, like, really, uh, I, like Marley said, I had forgotten that some of the conceit of this movie was modernizing Superman uh, because, like, you know, you've got the Smallville stuff, you've got the very classic origins, but then you're really thrown into exactly New York City, like, the newsroom, like, still largely white but diverse, like, people are wearing, like, contemporary clothes, um, and then uh, you get, I think, the scene uh, with uh, Margot Kidder actually getting, Lois Lane actually getting the interview with Superman, yeah. wearing, like, the most most 70s caftan, like, outfit I have ever seen, which also is... This is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I love them. No, I mean, their, their whole roof date is definitely the, you know, it's the heart of the movie for sure. And it's, uh, it's great. It's such a great scene. It's, it's, they, they you know, they're flirting. They're, uh, like, it's very funny, like, back and forth. Just love her sitting down asking her, his vital statistics starting with are you married <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but like it's also some of the you know uh, you know and, and superman is flirting right back uh you know they he's given information that he can't see through lead uh their their eyes are twinkling as they look at each other yeah it's a really <laughs> cute scene where lois lane finds out and publishes all of superman's weaknesses <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it feels like this goes along with Superman's a bit of a, a, a dweeb and a dummy is doesn't doesn't think that this is going to be a problem that'll come back to bite him in any way to just explain everything. Uh, but you know, it's because there's such good, there's such instant chemistry between each the, the them. Uh, it's like a lot like um, uh, we we pass by it, but like their first scene where you know Lois is getting mugged. And Clark as uh, Superman as Clark Kent like catches the bullet. Like there's there's so much fun like watching the two of them just be together. Like these are obviously two actors who like like instantly get what they're doing, and instantly it's a joy to watch them. And then like Superman takes her flying, and it's very fun. And there's a very silly spoken word poem that happens over the flight, which was originally going to mm-hmm. be a song sung by Margot Kidder uh, <gasps> that would go over this part. And I do think you can find it because I do believe it was released with the soundtrack. Yeah, because they, they, Richard they, Donner they was credited as a song in the credits. Yes, but Richard Donner was like, this is a little too much. Let's just talk it out. So there's like this lovely scene where they're flying and like, I love it because you can clearly see that they're falling in love. Like, you know, like he, Superman is having so much fun just being himself and Lois Lane is having so much fun. Even She's a woman who like jumps into helicopters and like runs away to like go chase crazy stories. She's having the time of her life flying through the air, so, you know, so this, even when she's getting dropped. Yeah, so this is an example of what I mean. And I know this is just the style of the movie and it's the seventies and it's not a 100% realistic special effects kind of movie, but like the way they do them flying together is as long as Superman is touching her, she can yeah. also fly. And it's, and like, mm-hmm. it's, that's what I'm saying about it. It's like, it's less that he's super strong and flying and more that like physics work different for him and anything he's touching. He's bringing <laughs> the rules of Krypton with him. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> no, Marley. I, I, I think it's good. <laughs> I'm very just... excited to be part of Marley making up his own Superman mythology uh, to again emphasize that this will not be in the cartoon. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, guess what? If you want a version of Superman where he brings in a new w- version of physics, that doesn't exist anywhere. <laughs> in this movie, a little bit. I hope you agree. Maybe. I hope you agree with Austin and Josie that it's not interesting because you're not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the 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 whole date sequence is so lovely. I wanna. I'm so thrilled that that was the song. <laughs> <laughs> so much more sense when you're like you're because definitely like the first time i watched it i was like what it like is he reading her mind? like why is she thriving <laughs> yeah it didn't work they didn't make it not be silly like to have, to have her i do poem. okay all right i can i can fix this so because the song the poem opens and ends with can you read my mind do you think lois was like in her head she's like can you read my mind can you read my mind if i start rhyming all weird you'll react here I go. I'm doing a weird little thing. Do you notice? Can you hear this? Like, she's just testing him out. Like, how strange can I get here before you give away that you can hear these thoughts? Yeah, so it should, yeah, can you read my mind? Uh, but like, nope. the answer is he cannot read minds because if he could, this would really save him a lot of time and energy later in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we haven't even talked about our, our best friend, Lex Luthor. I know, we oh, haven't. Yes. Well, right, right. This is a good time to get to him, but I just wanted to throw in that, uh, one of the most famous shots from this movie is the shot right after this when he shows back up at her apartment as Clark Kent. Oh, And, yes. and she's so still so swooning over Superman, she can barely acknowledge that Clark is even there. And she goes to, like, get ready to go out on, like, their, her dinner mm. with Clark. And there's the, you know, like I said, I think the, I think the most famous shot in the whole movie where, with no special effects, just acting, yeah. uh, uh, Christopher Reeve, like, straight stands up straight and changes his voice and sticks his chin out. And even though he's still in the suit, in the Clark Kent suit, he just looks like Superman now and his voice changes. And I had forgotten that, I had forgotten that right after his roof date as Superman, his plan was to immediately tell Lois the truth. And his Mm -hmm. plan was to walk right in and be like, it's me, it's Clark. And then when she comes out, he chickens out and he can't quite, he can't do it. And he goes back to the Clark voice. And I think it's, if Superman, because there's a weird thing with Superman where it's like he knows that he's both people and he knows that Lois would like to know that. And some versions of that are kind of shitty. Like some versions of that yes. are him like getting one over on that dame. Like she thinks she's so smart, but she doesn't even know I'm Superman. And like in the in the comics at, up to that point, they were probably still doing gags like that. And mm-hmm. I think it's cool that this version of Superman never really meant to deceive her. And yeah. her, his plan was to show off how cool Superman is and then right away come clean. But then that's a scary thing to do. And so he couldn't yeah. quite do it. And I think that's a much more like relatable well, and human there's... reason to keep the ruse going. Well, again, it's, you know, I, I keep using a human, but because like it's such a good word for it, like those scenes, like, boy, like in some ways I wish the movie was much more just Clark and Lois and Superman and Lois because those scenes are the best. But also like gets to the core of what is good about this Superman, which is he's a he's a good person. He doesn't want to lie, but he's scared. Like he's got, you know, he's he's trying he's trying his hardest, but like he does chicken out. Like he he his weaknesses are kryptonite, but it's also telling the truth to the people that it matters to, you know? Uh and, you know, it's it's the same thing why I really love when he first shows up as Superman, that he saves, you know, a woman from falling out of a helicopter and catches the helicopter one-handed. But he thinks that saving a cat from a tree for a little girl is equally as important. 
And I think that that gets to the heart of Superman in a way that I, I think it's very easy, especially in, in sort of the modern movies, uh, uh, to make problems for yourself with Superman. It's like, ah, oh, he's too strong. Ah, oh, he's too this. It's like, sure, if you just think only about his powers and don't think of him as a person, but like... The, this Donner movie really argues that Superman is a person. He is a nice man who sees helping people as a good thing and sees that helping people in different situations really isn't that catching a jewel thief is just as important as like showing up to help a little girl. Yeah. And I think that's really lovely. I, I think that is one thing like to in the movie, they ask like what like basically she's like, what are you fighting for? What's your ide- yeah. ideology? And he says, truth, justice in the American way. Mm-hmm. And like that stands out to me from most modern, a lot of modern superhero things yeah. because none of them have the character just be like, this is exactly my ideology. Yeah, like, this is what he stands for. I will I will say as a Superman diehard, American way got added in the 50s because originally it was just truth and justice. <laughs> so uh, the, the- it was a Cold War thing. Uh, a little yeah, bit, honestly. Much. Yeah, we we, uh, we added American Way to Superman when we added in God We Trust to our money. Yeah. <laughs> or no, uh, One Nation right. Under God. One Nation Under God. Because we had in God We Trust before, yes. Uh, but yes, no, he, he says what he stands for, uh, which also, as we'll see once we start talking about the villains, will come back to help him later on. Uh, yeah, and yes. this is a great time to talk about the villains. So in the actual movie, we've seen Lex Luthor a little bit before this, uh, but this is a good time because after his date uh, with Lois and his second date with Lois, I guess, as Clark, and we don't see how that goes, but I bet not quite as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think as well. I don't think it went quite as well. Uh, we then just hard cut to Lex Luthor reading about all of Superman's weaknesses and figuring out how to use them against him. And this is the Lex Luthor. So like this is not businessman Lex Luthor, which is invented, I think, uh, much later. Like I, I think Marley, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's after Crisis that we really get yeah. the hard boiled like like businessman Lex so Luthor. Because this, this is, this, yeah, this is still goofy like kind of mad science, but like mainly just like a criminal. Yeah, so Lex Luthor. I think Lex Luthor. My thing about like this being a, a an interesting pre-crisis modernization of Superman is probably the most true for Lex Luthor because at this point in the comics, the only version of Lex Luthor that had ever really existed was like a stereotypical evil mad scientist who would either try to kill Superman with a death ray or get into like a purple, a a green and purple murder suit and try to punch Superman to death with that. And that (laughs) was it. That was what Lex Luthor was. And it wasn't, I'm, I'm, 90% 90% sure that John Byrne invented the like slick businessman Lex Luthor mm-hmm. 10 years a- mm-hmm. 10 years after this movie. So this movie by reinventing Lex Luthor as more of a like goofy Moriarty, like he keeps calling himself like the greatest criminal of this generation or like the greatest criminal mind yeah. on earth. Like he's actively promoting mm-hmm. himself as the best criminal. Yes. Uh, which is not really what comic Lex Luthor was ever like and not what modern Lex Luthor's like. And it's it's a, a different, interesting take on like, how do we take this sort of one note mad scientist and make him funnier and more interesting? And and the answer was handed over to Gene Hackman. <laughs> and boy, boy, like there's a lot of people having fun in this movie. Like obviously Christopher Reeve is having fun. Margot Kidder is having fun. No one is having as much fun as Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. Oh, oh, <laughs> what about what about his uh, little henchman? Otis? Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Otis the bumbling henchman is probably having just as much fun. 
<laughs> oh, can we get into this? The thing yes. that everybody's been waiting oh, yeah, for. Let, I teased it at the beginning. Let's do it. Let's do it. There's a freaking pool in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was in my deep in my psyche. I, I just remembered the whole beginning. Lex Luthor swimming around a giant pool. There's a he. He's turned the whole like subway into a big pool. Yes. Um, that he's swimming around in. He's he's got he's got his mall Eve Tessmacher with him. Who like I like. I think they're dating. It's very unclear. It is, it uh, is actually. I, also, just, just uh, because we've been talking about him a lot, I do want to throw out there that uh, Otis is played by Ned Beatty, uh, who yes. just died very recently. So uh, yeah. it was R.I.P. Uh, I had kind of wanted to rewatch this ever since that happened when I was thinking about him, and I'm glad we got yeah. the chance. He's so funny no, in this Ned, movie. Ned Beatty. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love, I love this weird, like, comedy duo where, like, you've got, like, the fast-talking mall eve tess malker then you've got otis the bumbling henchman and then you've got gene hackman like calmly explaining that he's the smartest man who's ever existed he's so smart he didn't spend any stupid money on a park avenue place he made the subway into a pool (laughs) aren't you impressed possible girlfriend (laughs) maybe henchwoman she's definitely not she's pretty unimpressed and does not seem to enjoy living in their weird subway basement (laughs) at all (laughs) But I love it. I love it. I love his many wigs that I forgot that he wears a new wig in every scene. And I feel like that might have been Gene Hackman and not the character. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing, too, Marley, how do you feel that this Lex Luthor is so close to being a Ninja Turtle? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he is. He is set up in like exactly the same sort of mythical, beautiful, abandoned old subway station that the turtles live in in uh, Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. Uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's cool. I like it. Uh, definitely, if they ever let me do Superman versus Batman or versus uh, <laughs> the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, really play up the fact that the turtle's neighbor is Lex Luthor. <laughs> 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 they knew he was there the whole time. He's fine. <laughs> they have different relationships with yeah, him than Superman exactly. does. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> that's what's so twisted about Lex. He's a nice neighbor. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't bother the turtles. They're, the they're turtles bald. use his pool. Yeah, they're bald. He's bald. They've got a lot to talk mm-hmm. about. <laughs> their their pool is weirdly green, like ooze. <laughs> it is so fun, like the whole him being bald thing. Yes. Like it's not like a reveal. Like you just know he's bald. Like it's not like something where he's like, "Oh, my mm. wig!" At some point, no, like no, he's... it's a reveal at the very end of the movie. Yeah. Really, but, but like you said, it's they do they let you know. Like you see all his wigs yes. in the background. Yes, and you obviously see him just with different hair in every scene. I love it. I love, I also love that the villains are, it's like so different from like modern blockbusters where the villain plot is like basically in act three. Yeah. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like not concerned at all about what's the villain until like we're over an hour into the movie and their plot is like evil real estate. And also the way that they try to like enact it is like, and I think I'm probably jumping ahead of the no, plot. No, we're, but we're just, basically up to this now. If you want to talk oh, about the God. missile, the missile redirect the hijinks. The missile hijinks. I love the missile hijinks that, that like, it's, oh, it's so, it's like classic, like, uh, like it's cartoon logic. It's just like, mm-hmm. uh, so they have, the, they're, they're going to take these missiles and they're going to redirect them. They're going to like hack them and redirect them so they can blow up. Uh, both uh, California for and have like real estate there and basically become 
Kings of New California and Hackensack, New Jersey. <laughs> but we don't know that yet. We don't know Hackensack yet. Uh, so yeah, uh, Eve Tessmacher like d- uh, pretends that she's like fa- been in a car accident. And she's fainted, so Otis can sneak in and like redo and hack the missile. And then they're driving away, and Gene Hackman's like, "It's not that I don't trust you, but I absolutely don't trust you. Did you do all the coordinates?" And he's like, "Yes." except for this last one. And they're like, God damn it. And it, again, because this movie hates the idea that time might pass instantly smash cut to they're in new costumes <laughs> doing a new plan where they like show up on the road and confuse the like <laughs> the army who's like, huh, that seems weird that people are on this road. I bet they're lost. Let's talk so to them. Here, here's <laughs> a question, Josie, because when I watched it at first, I thought the same as you. I thought that, oh, Otis messed up the coordinates and so now they're going back to redo it with the new plan. But there's also uh-huh. two missiles, and you only see them do it twice. So do you think yes. that that second missile's headed for Hackensack because Otis put in the wrong coordinates? Oh my god! Possibly? I don't know, because it doesn't... He definitely... But, like, Lex Luthor definitely, like, gleefully says it's Hackensack. Yeah, but... Like, he knows where it's going. But he, <laughs> I mean, he knows the wrong coordinate that Otis put in, so he could figure out where that's going to go, and maybe he's fine with it at this point. Because I don't think they go back and redo the first missile. I think they just go get the other missile. Hmm. Hmm. I think you're right. It is a little unclear. Again, also, I don't know how long this took in real time because it smash cuts. They, they This movie loves a smash cut. Uh, <laughs> you know what I think is also cool, Marley, is I bet you maybe no one has the answer to your question <laughs> about what's going on there. <laughs> I think it's um, different people guarding the two different missiles. The I think they're in, like, different uniforms. Oh. So, okay, but that, it, it's very. Funny I, I thought what way. I also thought what happened was what Josie thought. Happened. I did too. I mean, it's what it feel. It's what feels like is happening in the moment. I'm just not sure. Because then why did? Okay, yeah. It's just there um, are two missiles, and you only see them hijack two missiles. So then, yeah, Lex Luthor tricks Superman into coming and hanging out with him, <laughs> and Lex Luthor just keeps saying over and over, "My plan has already worked," and mm-hmm. Superman's like, "No, it won't." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I do actually like that Lex outsmarts Superman because again like this is really f- like there like yes Superman can punch out a lot of things but as we've established knowing statistics about like gliders is not the same thing as being able to outwit somebody and yeah Lex tricks him into opening the lead box with the kryptonite in it yeah. to uh to stop him from stopping Lex's evil real estate plan and here's the big pool scene Superman mm-hmm. falls into the pool with the kryptonite and he's drowning yeah. the and pool's important the, yeah the I really remembered the pool I remembered it <laughs> Pool is central. Austin, I'm so excited that there's so much pool to talk about. Like, it's not just a cameo that you remembered. You remembered one of the most important parts of the movie. <laughs> and, like, one of the weirdest parts. Yes. That the thing that almost kills Superman is a pool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it is, a, it is funny because, like, obviously Superman explains that he can't see through lead in the interview with Lois. He doesn't mm-hmm. actually explain kryptonite. I don't think Superman knows about kryptonite. No, he just explains like, where Krypton was. Like how yes. how many light years away? So so Lex comes up. Lex figures out by doing the math, basically that like okay, it was this far away. It was this many years. This meteorite that fell, that's irradiated, it must be from his home planet. And then also like they very much gloss over why he would know that that would hurt yeah. him, but. Uh, it does. Actually, you know what, Marley? Your your theory about different physics is really coming back into play. Yeah! 
Uh, but I was going to say the, the pool scene also leads to my second favorite thing, which also comes out of that article, which is once e- Tessmacher realizes the second missile is heading towards Hackensack, she's like, my mom's there. And like Lex is like, yeah, fuck that lady. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she, and she specified it a couple of times in the article. He talks about, it's like truth, justice in the American way. And he's like a guy who talks, who always doesn't lie. A uh, guy who doesn't lie. And so she gets him to promise that, like, he will go stop that must- missile that's going towards her mom. Be- and he, she knows that he will do it because he doesn't lie. Yeah. He is a hero and a good man. And she makes him promise uh, to save her mom first because she knows there's two missiles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he and also he keeps that promise yeah. because he is a hero and a good man. Uh, so yeah, yeah uh, I, which I I love. I lo- I love that turn for Eve. I love that she. She saves him, and it's, again, in a very human way. It's not because she cares about anything else. It's because her mom's in danger. Yeah, and, like, when, mm-hmm. like right before she takes the kryptonite necklace off of him, she kisses him. Uh, and then when she takes the necklace off, he says, and I think he was legitimately confused because, again, he yeah. spent the last 12 years in a dad computer. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't really know how people work. Uh, a cold dad yeah. computer. So he says to her, he's like, why did you kiss me before you took the necklace off, before you took the kryptonite off? And she says, like, really sadly, she's like, because I, she's yeah. like, Cause I didn't think you'd let me after I did. And then she's like, why can't I, like, end up with a good guy? And, like, Superman kind of caresses her face. Like, at that moment, he feels really bad for her. Mm-hmm. It's it's these little moments. It's like, it, like, that trio up until that point had been so goofy. And then, yeah, you feel you feel bad for her. And, like, it's such a lovely moment between the two of them where, like, you see Superman feel bad for her, too. And then he has to take off because he's going to go stop Hackensack Missile and stop California Missile. And Superman, Clark, Clark as Clark Kent, uh, he does know that. So this movie, entirely about New York City and people who live in New York City, made the interesting choice to have the peril be in California, which meant they had to have Perry just say, oh yeah, Lois and Jimmy are in California right now. (laughs) And Lois is interviewing a guy about the real estate deal that Lex Luthor is doing. So that kind of tracks. But Jimmy's just taking pictures (laughs) of an empty dam. (laughs) It's Hoover. It's Hoover Dam. Yeah, it's Hoover Dam, but nothing's happening there. Like, like, uh, Perry specifically says, like, Jimmy's on assignment. It's his first big gig. And he's, I don't understand what Jimmy was there to take pictures of. The Hoover Dam, it's huge. (laughs) Have you seen, maybe people in 1978 have never seen the Hoover Dam before, Marley. Did you consider? So, you know, when. I think every so often the New York Times runs a piece just like the Hoover Dam, still pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) The best photos yet. Breaking. Still there. Uh, So when Superman agrees to stop the New Jersey missile first, he knows that his friends are imperiled by the other missile. He he understands the decision that that he's making. Uh, And then, yeah, he flies around the world and uh, saves like freaking everybody. He saves so many people. Except one person, Marley. We're getting to that. The most important person. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, I mean... And this is something because, like, the the dam breaking, the, like, people in danger getting evacuated. Like, he flies to the core of the Earth to seal the San Andreas Fault so the earthquakes stop. But also, I was thinking, watching this, like, we, I think we give, like, modern blockbusters a lot of, like, a hard time for, like, having the heroes not quite save the day. But, like, I didn't, I didn't think about it, but this might be one of the first times 
in a superhero media thing that I've seen uh, from the past where Superman doesn't quite save the day. Yeah. He isn't quite fast enough to save everyone. He, like, he saves everyone but one person. Yeah. He's not quite fast enough to stop the earthquakes. Yeah, like, like there's still, like, then, a lot of destruction. Like, uh, it's yeah. implied that he kind of saves everybody's lives, but, like, the Lex's plan, like, half work. Like, I think the, the, the yeah. way people criticize movies now is they say, like, oh, the villain's trying to destroy the world, and so instead they half destroy the world. And that kind yeah. of almost happens But here. that kind of happens. They kind of have to destroy California. And he does. He does save people's lives. Definitely the property are lost. And some people are going to be sleeping in tents right now. But then... Yeah, in a scene that again is actually really terrifying. We see Lois Lane is the one person he doesn't save, mm-hmm. and the, the sinkhole opens up, and she like smothers to death. Like, yeah, it's, like it's pretty the intense. Dirt, and she's like crying for help, and this is the first time in the movie that she's ever cried for help, and Superman hasn't immediately shown up. And then it like leads to this incredibly like tense scene where he shows up in time to basically watch her die. And he, much like with his father, he 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 couldn't save her. He he mm-hmm. was too late. This is the weakness of Superman. Yeah, but then he gets so upset he goes Super Saiyan. And <laughs> yes, he does. He screams uh, so hard he unlocks a new power. <laughs> yeah, and then he, he flies yes. into space, and yeah. his father, who is in a cloud, says, "You cannot do this. It's forbidden." But then but the memory his of his Earth yeah dad, says, "You're here." Earth Dad says, "You're here for you're a here reason." For reason mm-hmm. and, and he reason, goes with earth dad <laughs> yeah and then he, he i forgot that it, this was in this movie i kept thinking i was like mm-hmm. is that from the second one or this one where superman mm-hmm. flies around the earth and turns back time yeah. um, so here here's and, an argument that me and josie have been having off and on maybe for our entire marriage uh and possibly. Uh, austin you're gonna be the tiebreaker here so i think that when superman flies around the world that what's actually happening is he's flying so fast that he's reversing time the way Flash does. And he's go- he is going back in time. And the way the movie is visualizing this is by showing the Earth um, and time reverse. And what Josie wh- thinks what is happening. What I say is he literally reverses Earth, spins it backwards fast enough that time reverses for everybody. And then, because we see him have to start respinning the Earth, okay, Marley. So-, so it's not like he's not like going through a time warp. Like he's moved time backwards by moving the Look, Earth backwards. We're going to be fair with this. Here's the argument for Josie's thing. He does start the Earth spinning back the Marley, right way. Josie just made the argument for no, her thing. No, what are you talking about? I'm saying I agree with that. That's the thought. Here's, okay, I agree with that. Here's my thing. When when he will just get to it, goes back, spins the Earth mm-hmm. back, goes back in time, saves Lois. He doesn't re-save everybody else. Like Jimmy shows up yeah, you and know is why, still Marley? saved. There's two of him because he went back in time and there's yeah. still two of him. No, no. This, we just this movie has not ever shown you what time elapses between events <laughs> i fully believe he reversed everything he went back he said because no sinkhole opens up no like yeah. like he saves her way before he saves her way before but he's, no, he, <laughs> do, he doesn't because then jimmy runs up and is like hey superman you left me on the road all alone so he'd saved jimmy first already in this new timeline yeah. that was my big question is how many supermans are running around <laughs> i say two and <laughs> Okay, but wait, so here's the thing. In your version, Marley, there are still two Supermans. No, because... In your argument. No, because after the first Superman goes back in time, then it he catches up. Wait, because the... 
the first Superman goes back in time, and he's back in time with another Superman. They're both there at that right, time. Right, but then period. the first Superman he then would go literally, back in time. See, this is why Marley's theory does not work out, because he has to explain that the second Superman is, and all I'm saying is what Clark did, or what Superman did, was spin the Earth backwards, restart time, so he can basically get there a little faster, because that's all he really yeah, needed I to mean, do. I mean, truly, I do believe, this is what I always thought as a as a child and as a man, which is the Josie <laughs> theory. Thank which you. Is that what happens is, the, what makes time, what we perceive as time, in this alternate physics world perhaps to make marley happy (laughs) is what what we perceive as time is the rotation of the earth so if you just rotate it the other way time goes backwards so Mm -hmm. you would uh, so you would agree that superman is bringing an alternate physics along with him from his home planet Uh. oh i guess too i would say yeah sure Well, yeah, but the, the the main I I'm on Josie with the your Thank your, you. your 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 marriage long argument. <laughs> I mean, what nobody saw because this is a podcast is when Marley and I started arguing. Austin literally just put his head down on the desk in front of him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyhow, however it happens, he does what his dad said not to his Krypton dad said not to do to change Earth's history. But he does what uh, his Earth dad says to do, which is be here for a reason. And his reason is to save Lois Lane. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he saves her. And uh, they have a moment. And Jimmy teases her about maybe Superman liking her. And she's like, nah, that can't be. And then uh, basically the day is saved. And we fly off. And then there's the credits that explicitly tell you Superman 2 is coming very, very soon. We have shot this movie. So good because it's so much more ominous than the MCU. Like, <laughs> Iron Man will return. It says next year, Superman yes. 2. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, the actual uh, last scene right before that is Superman uh, flies and grabs Lex Luthor and Otis uh, oh, and right. brings them directly to a prison. Leaves them there and says, like, this ought to hold, this ought, says to the warden, like, this ought to hold him until there could be a trial, which, questionable. Uh, and then the warden's like, thank you, Superman. You saved the world. And Superman's like, hey, don't thank me. We're part of the same team. So, I don't know, Superman, like, ACAB, abolish prisons. Uh, at, <laughs> he loses me right at the end with that, like, extra effusive praise of a prison warden. <laughs> <laughs> well, also the thing too is right at right before that, I think Lex Luthor's like, "Hey, it's me, the greatest criminal in the world, and I'll break yes. out of here too." Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, he he has this is Lex at zero chill, where he's like, "Don't you know, prison wardens? I made all the crimes," yeah. and then he pulls off his wig, and you see that he's bald. Yeah. And poor Otis is there, not Eve. Thank you. I'm glad uh, Eve Tessmacher made it out. She's gonna go see her mom and in. in like Hoboken or wherever was going to blow up. Hackensack. Hackensack. She's going to live a great life because she did a good job. Whereas Gene Hackman is screaming that he's going to do all the crimes to everyone he's looking at. Yeah, I do love the idea. Like in his court appearance, do you think he's like, I'm Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal the world has ever known. And they're like, and how do you plead? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, guilty. He pleaded guilty. He, he, pleaded, yeah. he obviously pleads I, guilty. He's probably just up there like, yeah, I'm guilty for this and loads you know nothing about. <laughs> I think he's probably like, I plead escaping right now. Activate rockets. Yes. Um, so, so you know, closing thoughts on the on the movie. 
a literal family. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's a great movie. Everyone remembers it, it being great because it is, and yeah. they're right. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, you know, this is, uh, maybe is obvious to say, but, like, they could just remake this. Just do, yes. it, do this again. It's great. I- I mean, there's a there's a special magic to this movie because like there's a lot of goofy parts, but like Marley said, it's goofy on purpose. Like when it's goofy, it's goofy on purpose. When it's serious, it's serious on purpose. Like this movie does like this hat trick that I think is so good and like something that is so admirable, like as a writer and as like a storyteller that like I try to do in my own work of just being able to juggle like three different tones with like multiple different like sort of ideas. But, like, it all works. I think that's the thing that's so interesting about rewatching it is there's parts that if you watch it in a vacuum, you're like, this is ridiculous. Or parts where you're like, this is really scary and horrific. But, like, taken all together, you're like, wow, this is, like, a really solid, really good movie. Like, I I laughed. I cried. I got scared. I was excited for Superman to fly around. I love the special effects. Like, there, oh, yeah. there, it, 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 it comes together in a way that it defies analysis a little bit because again on its own these pieces shouldn't work together but they do and they do so well and it makes this like really magical time that like makes you excited and inspires you when you're like finished watching it uh yeah Yeah. so uh, i don't want to spend too much time on this because maybe it's not going to be that interesting but just because so uh josie as you know me and austin have just finished uh Mm -hmm. recapping and and revisiting uh the phase one uh marvel studios movies Mm -hmm. so we've gone up to Mm -hmm. avengers and Mm -hmm. something that has sort of stood out to me as we've watched them all together is this isn't really the case in incredible hulk and iron man 2 but you Mm -hmm. can also tell that those movies they hadn't quite figured out what they wanted to do yet and if you look at Mm -hmm. iron man Captain America, Thor, and Avengers, you get this pretty consistent through line of what makes someone a hero is their willingness to sacrifice themselves. Like all all three characters have some version of being willing to die for for the cause or their loved ones mm-hmm. is what makes them a mm-hmm. hero. Basically saying heroism is the op- heroism is the opposite of selfishness. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know what you guys think this movie's like idea of what a hero is because I think it's really different. Yeah, like being a good person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, is, like just it, being like a really good person, not lying. Yeah, being nice. Austin is instantly like, I know what it is. It's being a good person. Um, I do think it is interesting because it's the self-sacrifice is not there. But also, I I am not a big fan of the self-sacrifice thing because it, it also in some ways lets you off the hook. Like you do one big glorious gesture but then you don't have to do the hard work of the cleanup afterwards. And I think what I really like about Superman is that he's not going out in a gl- blaze of glory that'll get people talking about him for years. He's interested in doing the hard work. Like he's interested in being a reporter, you know, because he wants to help people. He wants to like report on the stories that are important. He wants to reveal things, you know, it, it, when he's saving people through New York, he's not doing it because he wants people to see who he is. He's doing it because it's the right thing to do. Like in those Marvel movies, I think there is a strain that frankly still feels a little selfish to me of like Tony Stark has been trying to like get himself killed, but like 
again, going out in a way that everybody knows that he's the hero. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's an egotism to the Marvel characters that I think is absent from Superman. And it's something that I, I, as a DC fan really love, you know, like his first appearance, what he's doing is like punching out landlords and making them extend people's rents. Like he's taking on the mob, like super villains happen later, but like he is interested in the hard work of helping people and he's interested in helping people no matter if you're a big name if you're if you're if you're the president or if you're a little girl with a cat in a tree he's equally invested in both of you and he's going to do the hard work for both of you uh josie you sound like the world's like best pundit right now pitching a political (laughs) candidate i'm like yeah i'll vote for superman and this is why (laughs) superman will be president (laughs) in yeah i mean you're definitely doing a good job of pitching yourself as someone to be writing a superman show (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm inspired thank you guys it turns out when you produce a superman show you really think a lot about superman uh yeah i mean i i definitely agree with both of the things you guys are saying i think the only the only thing i would add which is just sort of uh on top of that is that the the one big real moral decision that he has to make is like you know jor-el says he's forbidden to mess with history with human history mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he like instead of being a character who's like oh he's a hero because he's willing to sacrifice himself like what mm-hmm. the end is is he's a hero because he's unwilling to sacrifice anyone like yes. he's he yes. is willing to break the only rule that was put on him in order to save yes. one life and i don't think it's just because it's like the woman he loves i think he no. would have done that for anybody uh and yeah. the and also, he was right. There is no downside to reversing time and saving <laughs> Lois. It's good that he did it. But he had been told not to. And he he did yeah. not take that as an answer. And he did it anyways. And it worked. Yeah, what does his moron dad know? His planet got blown up. <laughs> <laughs> Who should be trusting that yeah. guy? I don't know. Yeah, if Jor-El was so smart, why did yeah. he make a spaceship that could fit three people? <laughs> All right. The, the other thing... Um, this is a little bit off of what Marley was saying mm-hmm. when we've been watching these MCU movies. One thing mm-hmm. we've been noticing, um, this is more a question for Marley than you, Josie, mm-hmm. unfortunately, which is, uh, Marley. I'll, I'll chime in anyhow. Oh, oh, I'll ask you too, Josie. Um, Marley, how many Iron Mans do you get this <laughs> Oh, boy. You know, I've thought about it a lot. Um, so, yeah, this is the thing we do where we judge each Marvel movie by how many, and we're, how many Iron Mans? Uh, well, you have, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. You have to go first. You always go first. I have to go first. Don't put this okay, on me. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, what, what is, I mean, I guess I'll find out from context because. So here's what I, it is. I, I, I know that there's been some fighting over how many Iron Mans constitutes an Iron Man. And... Okay, no, it's complicated. Okay, Marley's version is much sillier than my very serious. <laughs> yeah, thing so that makes explain sense. your mm-hmm. version and then I'll I'll follow okay, up. Okay, so the, the idea is I was like, okay, you know, movie ratings are are boring. So for all the MCU movies, it's like Iron Man is the one that they're all trying to like be sort of or like emulate mm-hmm. or. You know, it's the it's the template. So rating each movie on how close I think it gets to Iron Man or if I think it's better than Iron Man. So it's like, so like for example, Thor's, Iron Man is worth mm-hmm. one Iron Man on Austin's yeah. scale. Mm-hmm. Thor is worth like 
6.9 Iron Man's, I completely forgot. Um, <laughs> why, why do they, why do they go to decimals? Because most, why, mo- because most movies are not quite as good as Iron Man, so that makes them somewhere between zero and one Iron Man's. I hope you see, you may, actually, you know what? Make a clip of this so everybody can see Josie's face as she starts to comprehend what you've been doing here, Austin. Okay, so Marley, is everybody ready for how many Iron Man's I give Superman? Yeah. Yes. I give Iron Man one Superman. <laughs> you absolute bastard. I'm a little I'm a little I'm a little scamp. I'm a little scamp. You just Okay, cool. All right. So, do you also do you remember how many Thors you gave Captain America or whatever it was you pulled? On that one, I don't know. I don't really stand by that one. I think that was enough. Oh, that one was too so, much. So this is the point where you just make up whatever bullshit you like. Okay, Mar- so what Marley's been doing is counting how many physical Iron Man suits there are in the movie. Yeah. So, like for example, Iron Man is worth I think three and a half Iron Mans because there's three Iron Man suits, and then the Iron Monger suit is kind of an Iron Man. Uh, uh-huh. I think I'm pretty sure that we said Hulk was one half an Iron Man. Yeah, I think I gave it half an Iron Man because of the iron will of controlling your own emotions. I don't really mm-hmm. stand by that one. If we're going to. Or maybe you said one whole Iron Man because also Tony Stark. Is uh, you're right. I did. It was half an Iron Man for the conceptual idea of controlling your own emotions. Half an Iron Man because Tony Stark wasn't it. It was one Iron Man. I don't really stand by that one either. As long as we're running away from our own opinions, uh, I'll bail on that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna... Remember, Austin, you asked me if I would ever dare give a movie a zero Iron Man? Marley, you're not gonna do this, are you? Iron Man is not in this movie, Austin. He just isn't. There's a man of steel, but if we're saying steel and iron are the same thing, then that's just madness. Whoa, whoa, There is a man of steel who has an iron will. I say that's worth two Iron Men. (laughs) All right. Two Iron Men. So for the record, Austin gives a different movie one Superman. (laughs) I give this movie zero Iron Mans, and Josie gives it two Iron Mans. Two Iron Mans! The one thing I will say to walk this back is if you convert it, I know both of you aren't that good at math. (laughs) Um, This is equivalent to giving Superman one Iron Man. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Are you inflating or deflating the value of an Iron Man, though, by linking them? I know a little bit about currency. Oh no, they're 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 this uh, the Iron Man is the standard, okay. I think. Uh, Iron gold, Man is the an, uh, the gold, gold standard. Or maybe now he, Superman he's the, is the he's standard. He's the Greenwich Mean Time of how we yeah, rate I just these. Thought that, I thought that it was messed up for me to say Superman is an Iron Man just mm-hmm. because Superman came first. Superman you know? is a man of steel. So, yeah. uh, yes, no, right. and he did came, so, come first. So what first. you're saying is that these movies are as good as each other, but you have to give credit to the originator of this whole genre in comics and in movies. Yeah, and like Iron Man originated this uh, second phase that will mm-hmm. consume all of us. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> not just us doing this podcast, but everyone no, on everyone. Earth. <laughs> yeah, like Krypton being destroyed yeah. by the sun. The yeah. MCU. Well, well, Kry- Krypton is the phase one, and then the I believe the sun blowing up is phase two. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, uh, Josie, since you're uh, you're a guest here uh, for our 
are just millions and millions of loyal mm-hmm, listeners mm-hmm, uh, who you might mm-hmm. want to uh, direct. What uh, I know your Superman show doesn't have a release date and probably won't come out for a while. But what are some mm-hmm. things you have done that are available that people could check out after they've been enthralled by your opinions? <laughs> <laughs> After they're like, my God, that woman is right. Superman is worth two Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What, what, uh, yeah, what amazing uh, works have you put into this world? Yeah. Well, uh, like like Marley, I'm also an animation writer and producer. Um, before my adventures with Superman, I was the head writer for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which is uh, all uh, five seasons is on Netflix right now. Uh, I was also the head writer for the first three seasons of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, which is also uh, streaming on Netflix right now. So if you want to see two very different shows from each other, but two shows that like I was the head writer for and I guided the writing for, uh, those are it. If you want to find me online, my Twitter handle is at Cozy Jamble, and that is also my website. It's CozyJamble.com. Uh, and if you are just like, I love DC Comics and I want somehow Josie Campbell to be linked to DC Comics, I got good news for you. Uh, I both uh, wrote a, a short uh, Green Lantern story in the, uh, uh, they, the books came out in February, but I think you might still be able to get them online on the uh, Green Lantern uh, Future State uh uh events that happened in february uh i wrote a story uh following teen lantern who's a new character and mogo the living planet one of my favorite green lanterns uh and then also uh i've written uh for justice league action and a bunch of those justice league action shorts are online including a justice league action superman short where superman is getting hit with different bits of kryptonite that was actually completely boarded by Brendan, my co-EP on Superman, on my adventures with Superman. Yeah, so, so. If, you, if you check out that Justice League action short, you'll get a sort of unofficial uh, little hint at what their collaboration might be like. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today, Josie. Yeah, seriously. Um, Also, in the much more likely chance that the people listening have never listened to this podcast before, and this is the first episode, and they're only listening (laughs) because of Josie, which, full disclosure, much more likely than the thing I just said. Uh, We've done other episodes about Marvel movies, and if you're interested in that, uh, I think they're cool. We've gotten up to Avengers, and we're just going to keep going. I, I'm not even, this isn't hyperbole right here. They're going to blow your mind, okay? <laughs> if, if you're just coming on with this, you got no idea what's coming, okay? it's You're just going to be like, what? Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man again, Thor, Captain America, Avengers. That's going to be what you're saying, okay? Uh, so, yeah, that's the episode. Uh, Austin usually says this, and I don't like it, but in this case, it feels appropriate. Goodbye. I love you all. Yeah. You're all... <laughs> We're all related. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. I'm married to one of you. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to us. Please give us a follow and rating if you liked it. Our intro and outro music are by Josh Pan. Art is by Will Patrick. I edit the podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Hero Rewatch. Marley is Marley HG on Twitter. And I'm Austin HG. And check out Marley's show, Aquaman, King of Atlantis, out now on HBO Max. See you next time. Bye.